0: Good morning, guys. Uh, how about you open your Bibles to the Book of First Peter? Uh, if you guys don't have a Bible, uh, why don't you uh, raise your hand? We have some ushers that would love to get your Bible. If you guys don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. First Peter, chapter three, is what we're going to be kind of—I um, should say—loosely in right now. Um, just very, very quick little backstory. We've been in a series, verse by verse, throughout the entire book of First Peter. Um, we kind of got to chapter three. We began to focus on the little section where he talks about verse uh, 10, about the good life, where he says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, we just call it the good life. Uh, We began to kind of look at the various aspects that he describes that are uh, essential for the concept of a good life. Um, That then kind of led us on a little bit of a diversion, or just not not really a distraction, but hopefully it's a Holy Spirit distraction, meaning uh, it's, God's using it to speak to our hearts. We've been looking at, in the past few weeks, the subject of the concept of um, deconstruction, what is more commonly known as that. Um, and we've been saying all along that the idea of deconstructing one's faith or deconstructing what someone has come to think about as their faith and then reconstructing are part of a healthy Christian life of being able to live a quote-unquote good life. And so that's a little bit of the quick backstory of what we're going to be looking at. I want to pray right now. If you guys wouldn't mind standing one more time, I just we're going to pray together. Uh, Just all standing with a posture of just saying, God, we we want all that you have for us here today, and then uh, we'll jump into some teaching here this morning. So, Father, right now, we ask you, would you speak to our hearts? We need you more than anything else, not only today, but in the sum total of our lives. God, you alone hold the words of life. Where else can we go? What other source are we going to look to? That's not going to condemn us, cancel us, judge us, cast us out. God, you alone are the life giver. And so, right now, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our senses, our understanding, our imaginations to be able to understand who you are and what you have in store for us. So, we just entrust all of this this morning into your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all grab a seat? I want to start with just, uh, first of all, um, I have a little slide that I did um, for, sorry, some resources. Um, so one of the things I've been wanting to do, and I think I mentioned this to you guys last week, is kind of crafting uh, the past several weeks into kind of like a, a document or a resource guide, I'm not even sure what I'm calling it, but to Google, you can go ahead and check it out, just Take a photo of that, or and then it will lead you to all the content. It will be a living con- document, so it'll be growing and being expanded upon as well. Um, and if you find typos or misspellings, um, you're welcome. That's all, all me. Um, it has not been edited yet, and I'm a horrible, horrible writer when it comes to that type of stuff. So, um, but like I said, hopefully over the next several weeks, if not several months, it will continue to expand and become filled with all sorts of resources that I hope would be helpful for you, um, and or you could use this to be able to be of help and value in someone else's life. So that's my, my big aim as well as trying to link you to some other resources that I have found helpful in this larger uh, process and thinking and conversation with regard to what this is all about. Um, If you're unfamiliar with uh, the terminology of reconstruction or deconstruction, um, I would highly recommend just check out the past few teachings uh, that we've gone through, basically the past three weeks, and we kind of expound upon that. Um, I've been saying uh, for the past several weeks that this is basically one message that covers three weeks, but now it's actually gone into four weeks, so it's still one message, but it's still covering four weeks, and I promise today is actually going to be the last day I think. i pretty sure of that. And then we'll jump back into the book of Peter. Uh, we'll be in the book of Peter chapter 3 for a couple of weeks until we come to the end of February. Then we will jump into a, a new series just throughout the time of Lent that will lead us up to Easter. Crazy that we're already thinking about Easter um, already, 2022. Welcome, uh, Easter. All right, so there we go. Uh, a little bit of a uh, backstory of all the stuff. So um, aside from that, I want to jump onto the very next slide. And I want to just give some summary statements. Uh, this is probably familiar to you if you've been with us for the past three weeks. I'm just going to read it again because if you're new, um, it might be helpful. So the good life is built upon the foundation of Jesus. Again, scripture references that we've been looking at. Yet there are occasions when disappointments and or difficulties cause one to question the reality of their faith. Obviously it makes a lot of sense. Next slide. That the testing, the examining, in some cases, destroying, or uh, abandoning, in some cases, uh, of previously held beliefs, has come to be known as "quote unquote" deconstruction. Again, I want to be really clear: this idea of deconstruction is that we typically think of it in today's terminology is is um, uh, not directly linked to Jacques the idea of deconstruction and the philosophical ideas and ideology of postmodernism and post-deconstructionalism and all that type of stuff. Uh, But there's a loose affiliation. Again, if you're familiar with that or, you know, you get the idea. But the point that I would make is this, is that the big idea that we see in a modern day context, there's a lot of talk and we looked at this the very first week, why this seems to be the case in our modern day context. A lot of it has to do with media and social media and people wanting the world to kind of follow along their quote unquote journey of deconstruction and construction of faith and whatnot. So what we're trying to do is address this in in the context of, of church and teaching and Bible, but also within the larger context of the good life. And asking the question, how do we live a good life and yet at the same time have to face some of these really important questions, large questions? So with that, I want to jump right in and begin to try to give some... Um, Definitions. So next slide. I'll uh, give a couple little definitions and we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this. So deconstruction, we've been saying all along, this is the process of reevaluating one's core beliefs about God's self and the world. So reevaluating of this. Uh, reconstruction, this is really what I want to focus on, is the importance of reconstructing your faith. Uh, or maybe even in some ways deconstructing not just faith, but also deconstructing doubt. Um, in other words, my hope would be that as you grow, as we all grow, that we don't just simply embrace our doubts. In some cases, we got to doubt our doubts. It's okay to question our doubts and then embrace faith. And this is kind of what I'm trying to focus on. So reconstruction is the process of solidifying your core beliefs about God, yourself, and the world. And again, what I've been saying for the past couple weeks is that many of us, um, what we've quote-unquote deconstructed has really not been a solidly, thoroughly thought through, critically, carefully thought through faith. In other words, it's just something that has been given to us We never really carefully constructed it based upon the scripture itself. So really kind of what we're deconstructing is something that has been half-baked. So my hope would be that as followers of Jesus, we would carefully think about, maybe for some of us, it's not so much a starting place of reconstruction, it's just construction. It's just starting there of saying, what does it look like to actually build a faith that's not me kind of riffing off of what I think it should be, or me somehow coming to Jesus and saying, here's the type of Jesus I want, like a handmade, self-made Wikipedia version of Christianity, but saying, what have people, and I'm talking billions of people, for the past two millennia, believed about Jesus in the historic Christian faith that's rooted in Scripture? And that's what I'm that's my hope, is that as either we are reconstructing or constructing or maybe in the various stages of deconstructing, my hope would be to kind of anchor you, tether you to this ancient historic Christian faith. That's my hope, anyways. So next slide, I want to uh, go through just some. Uh, there's a lot written on here, so hopefully, just just bear with me. Um, and I and I have been editing this since the past couple weeks and try to redefine some of this, some of this as kind of stuff that I had been writing in my document. So again, if there's some misspellings, whatever, you're welcome. I'm not that great at spelling. I've already said that, but here you go. Uh, so I've been trying to uh, make some distinguishing uh, remarks with regard to uh, what I what I've come to see is basically three variations of uh, that get kind of thrown under this big larger title of just deconstruction. Number one is deconversion. This is the idea of basically saying, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm walking away from the historic Christian faith, and I believe something entirely different than what Christianity has taught. So some have maybe gone through that. Some of you might even be here right now. Maybe you've gone through a, a state of deconversion. So stoked you're here. Um, but I would say that for some, this is kind of their experience. The second is like, what I would describe as an unhealthy uh, deconstruction. And this how do you know an unhealthy version or format of this? I would say if your heart is filled with just skepticism or cynicism or anger, self-pity, anxiety, or maybe in some cases uh, alienation, um, that's ultimately unhealthy. It takes you away from humanity. It takes you away from good relationships. It takes you away into a place where just, man, it's like a black hole. It's like a black hole that just does something to your soul. You're not more filled with grace and love and kindness and goodness. And again, I'm just simply trying to use a term to distinguish or, dis, uh, or dis, um, describe this type of variation of this. So unhealthy deconstruction. The, the one that I really want to focus on is the idea as of healthy uh, deconstruction. and Or you can describe this as healthy deconstruction slash reconstruction. So again, I know there's a lot of content here. I'm going to read this because hopefully this might even be helpful for some of you in thinking through this. So, healthy deconstruction what is it formerly held assumptions and false assurances are tested leading to a healthy distinguishing between the kernel teachings practices and culture of Jesus versus the husk teachings practices, and culture of modern expressions of the church. So, for example, um, American evangelicalism, baptism, or Baptist, you know, Southern Baptist or something like that, or Catholicism, or some other variant form of a denomination that maybe you've been a part of. And I basically went on to say, some call this uh, disenculturation, disenculturation. So the idea of finding a culture that you may have been familiar with and realizing. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. I was just having a conversation with a guy last night. And he was involved in a church organization that was, I would say, was highly fundamentalist and very rigid, very strict in certain things. That I would say more were reflective of the church organization and culture, not Jesus. Does that make sense? Let me give you another example. Um, so throughout the 90s, you know, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know a lot of you guys are young, so maybe some of you were kind of raised up in the youth culture of the 90s and early 2000s and whatnot. Some of you guys were like, I wasn't even born in 90, but glad you're here. But the point that I would make is this, is that th- this idea, is that, for example, that, that was your experience. So you grew up being spoon-fed, like tiny, nice, nice, happy-feel messages and force-fed, you know, God forbid, Christian music. And the point of the matter is, is that in the strict fundamentalism, at some point, you, maybe you went to school, you went to Cal Poly, or you kind of began to see the life, uh, the world around you, a little bit more expansive than what it really is. And that's kind of caused you to question, like, man, I had this, like, this force-fed Christian fundamentalism, and I can't do this anymore. Really, it's not so much a deconstruction of the faith, it's more of a deconstruction of the culture within a Christian faith. Does that make sense? And and for for many people, this has been their experience. So again, I've been saying this from the very beginning. You're not crazy. You're not losing your mind. You're just going through a normal common process of the Christian faith of having to look at and compare certain cultural expressions to the historic Christian teachings of the Bible. And And I would say that people that might have been able to move past some of these distant cultural elements. Uh, Let's say, for example, if you've traveled a lot, you've been to other countries, you've been to other churches in other countries, other denominations in other states or cities or whatever, you have begun to see that the broadness of the Christian church is more than just your cultural expression. Does that make sense? You begin to realize, oh, man, not everybody worships to, you know, mellow music. Some have, you know, light shows, and laser shows, and fog machines, and you know, the pastor looks like he's a celebrity, and all all this type of stuff. That might have been your experience. But that doesn't mean that's the entire, sum total of the Christian church. And so part of that process is like learning to untether the historic Christian teaching from those cultural experiences that you've maybe you've rubbed up against that were distasteful, left a really bad taste in your mouth. So, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to jump in and begin to take a look at some of the uh, pillars, what I've been describing, that are leading and will lead to, hopefully, a healthy reconstruction of your life, or in some cases, just, like, like I said, a construction. In other words, maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've never really carefully been thought through uh, your Christian faith, and maybe it was something that you inherited, and maybe you never even have gone through, like, an actual deconstructive uh, element within your life, but maybe right now, this is the Great opportunity for you to look at the landscape of your life and say, what does healthy construction look like? What does it look like to really truly in a healthy manner step into the sum total of this Christian life that Jesus invites us into? Uh, To put it another way, what's it look like to no longer be a cultural American versioned Christian and become one that looks like an actual disciple of Jesus? So, Last week, we looked at the subject of wisdom. We spent a whole time talking about that. I'm not going to recap any of that. You can go back and take a look at the message or listen to the message as well. So there you go. Uh, Next, I'm going to jump into the next one is healing. I think part of this process is just recognize we, we all need healing, all of us. We bring challenges and hardships and pain, trauma, wounds, if you would, to our Christian experience, to Jesus, all of us. I don't care who you are. We all have a variety of wounds that we have, that we've accumulated over life. Uh, If you want to put it this way, we, we bring baggage to Jesus. It's one of the reasons why I think if you've ever been involved in a Christian church for any length of time, you begin to realize you're like, man, some of those people are like, they're hard to be around. Like, they're really painful. They cause pain because sometimes hurt people end up hurting people. And it's just like when you get a bunch of hurt people together, man, you're bound. It's just literally a recipe for destruction right? But this is what I've been saying all along. The Christian message has built in, baked in means and measures to discover healing and to become part of a healing process. Involves repentance, confession of sin, asking people to forgive you. All of these things are baked in. They're part of that. And if those aren't firing, if those aren't happening, we just oftentimes end up just creating a very toxic culture. And some of you may have been part of toxic Christian environments. And they're really, they're really bad. They're really bad. In fact, I would even say they can be even worse than other forms of just like, say, social, secular group or whatever. Because within a church, we expect, we expect to discover healing. And yet, we're not finding healing. We're finding just brokenness. More broken people and more hurt to just kind of accumulate to my own brokenness. So, with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about the subject of healing cuz I think this is really important. We need healing more than anything. But the question I want for us to think about is where do you turn? Where do you turn when you're broken? Where do you go? What voices do you listen to? What, you know, what podcasts do you turn to? What books do you read? What, you know, TikTok channels do you kind of go to? What who are the go-to voices that Will bring life into your soul again. We need that because, again, we, we are not benign when it comes to this. We have to have some form of answers. We are meaning junkies. We have to have meaning in our lives. We have to make sense of the pain. We're not, we, you know, we're we're not animals. So when something bad or traumatic or challenging or difficult happens to us, or we're involved in some sort of a, abusive circumstance, whether it be religious abuse or relational abuse, whatever the case is, we have to figure out some sort of reason why this is happening. So the question is, where where do we go? Who do we turn? And this is where I would suggest that this is, again, not not a, a new modern question. This goes all the way back to the very source of humanity. It even goes back even to the very garden itself, the very opening sequence of the Bible where we see Adam and Eve uh, invited to partner with God in obeying him. And this kind of taps into the bigger question, like wisdom that they needed. But they turned away from that wisdom. They turned to alternative sources. And that's those sources, that they turned to open up a Pandora's box of chaos and pain and unleashed brokenness all throughout the entire world, throughout their lives, throughout their relationships. And, and ultimately, in the end, the story of the Bible, from very beginning to the very end, is the story of a God entering into people's hurt and pain and bringing healing. It's absolutely, it's beautiful. It's why, it's why to me, I, you know, again, for as many challenges that Christianity can oftentimes contribute and cause because of broken people, the story, the kernel of the story is absolutely beautiful. Redemptive and beautiful. And this is this is why it's so important to kind of go back to this. So what I'm gonna do is I wanna go back and read a handful of passages and we'll move on to the very next one. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. If you guys have Bibles, why don't you open there? If not, I also have this up on the screen. Matthew chapter nine. I just want to read a little bit of a story about the life of Jesus. Again, some of these narratives that we're gonna read, I'll just make some comments on and move on to the very next one. But I think the stories themselves speak for themselves, and they, they, they give us this really incredible glimpse into the life and the personhood of who Jesus is and what he is consistently doing even throughout the world today. So listen, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Then Jesus entered the synagogue. By, by the way, let me just say this. It was two years ago, probably today or yesterday, we actually were sitting in this very like synagogue in I think Capernaum is where we were, right? James, I don't know if James is in here or not, but anyways, it was awesome. Like sitting there realizing, whoa, this, this story that I'm about to read right now, like we got to sit in that very city where this all happened. So anyways, there you go. That's a freebie. Um, it says, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And then he said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So what's fascinating to me about the life of Jesus real quickly in this moment is that Jesus Jesus walks into the room. Who does he go to? And what what is everybody expecting Jesus to do? They're literally expecting Jesus to walk into the room to go right to the person with the greatest need. Just pause and think about that. What are the expectations on Jesus? Oh, he's going to go to the one that has the most horrible life, most challenges, most difficulties, greatest need. He's going to heal them. Now, they're looking at this in a derogatory sense. They're going to, he's going to heal them. But we, we look at this in the positive sense of, like, he's going to heal them. So I want you to think about this. Like, when you came into this gathering here this morning, like, what did you expect about Jesus? I hope you came expecting Jesus is the one who comes to you into your life, and your pain, in your trauma, and your hardship, and says, I've come to bring healing. This is exactly what we see Jesus doing. Again, these guys are out to set Jesus up. Verse 13 says, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And then the man stretched it out, and he was restored, healthy, just like the other And it goes on to say verse 17, um, again, oftentimes the way the New Testament writers would write is they would kind of link the present-day stories of Jesus, again, present-day, 2,000 years ago, present-day stories of Jesus to the ancient historic passages of the Bible, like trying to anchor the life of Jesus uh, to make sense of who Jesus is and what he was doing to the ancient historic text. So in this case, they make a reference to the prophet Isaiah, and here's what it goes on to say. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm just going to try to keep it uh, as succinct as I can. Number one, uh, they're quoting from this ancient historic passage. And they're basically saying, the, the one who's going to come, what type of a person will he be? What type of a, you know, a, a mover and shaker will he be? What type of stuff will he do? Again, listen to Isaiah's uh, definition of Jesus. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Some of us, again, we read this, we're like, what in the world is he talking about? A bruised reed. Uh, a reed was like a, like a staff or a stick, and it was bent over. It's bruised. What do you do when you see something that's kind of like maybe on the side of the road, it might be broken, or like a candle, or whatever, you just kick it or whatever, like it's broken, and you like, might as well just break it all the way. Not Jesus. He sees a, a bruised reed, and he doesn't break it. Uh, what, what do you do, if, like us said, for example, if you saw a candle, and it was just... Barely holding on for life. It's just smoldering. Just a little bit of smoke coming out of it. The temptation would be to blow it out. It's smoldering. It's barely effective. It's barely purposeful. It has no use whatsoever. There's no function whatsoever. Again, our world is all about functionality. Do you function in society? What's your role in society? What's your identity? What are you doing? What benefit are you providing to humanity? None? Well, you're canceled. You're offensive? We don't want you. Bruised reed, smoking flax. Jesus goes up to the bruised reed. He doesn't break it, heals it. Smoking flax, smoldering candle, cups it, breathes it back into something of a raging fire. Man, this is the gospel. This is the God we need. I know in some popular forms of Christianity, there's this tendency to kind of be like, we need more elite special forces unit Christians that are out there on the front lines doing God stuff, big stuff. Yes, I think we do. We need backbone. We need all stuff like this, spined Christians doing stuff. But we also have to make space for those that are bruiseries and smoking flax and say, where do they fit in to the work that Jesus did? What about those that show up and they just, feel bruised and broken. And Jesus and Isaiah tells us, these are the ones that Jesus goes directly to. He says, you matter to me. We need healing, man. These are the things that we have so much of a need for in our lives. I was reading a, Tweet this past week by a guy named Ray Ortland. He's a pastor. I'll just read it to you. I don't have it up on the screen, but just listen to it. He says, this the best therapy I've ever received. And again, this is, and some might be like, well, is he anti-therapy? No, I've, you know, I'm not anti-therapy at all. I've, I've gone through my own seasons of it and it's been very helpful. So this is, has nothing to do with that. But listen to what he goes on to say. The best therapy I've ever received was simply going to church. Listen, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, nobody was scrutinizing me, trying to fix me, They just liked me. I liked them. It was relaxed, sincere, safe. Jesus was there. It was so healing and life-giving. I realize for some of you, that's not been your experience. And I'm sorry. The church should be a safe place. God's people should be a safe space. Sometimes we're not. Because we are dealing with our own baggage, our own stuff. We're not dealing with it in a healthy way. But Jesus is always good. Jesus is always there. It's one of the reasons why I just tell people, I'm like, look, the whole American Christian rhythms of church once every five or six weeks, man, you're you're, gonna, you're missing out on so much that Jesus has for you. That's so why I've been trying to just encourage us to think in a different way of what does it mean to actually be part of a church, be part of a local body that says, I'm gonna be there every week. Just like your, your your weekly yoga class, or your weekly workout, or your weekly gym sesh, whatever it is, or your, whatever it is that you do, just to say, this is my weekly moment to gather with God's people in the company of God's people, to worship the Lord, to engage in the practice of teaching the scripture, and to engage in the sacraments of partaking of the bread and the cup, and to be responsive in our worship to Jesus, to do this on a regular basis. And I, I truly believe, I, I think that as doing this, it will create a cadence or a rhythm in our lives that will bring repeated health, vitality, hope, healing to our lives. Next thing I'm to jump onto is this idea. Before I jump in to the next one in the community, I'm going to just ask a real quick question. I, I think there's some reasons why oftentimes healing um, is outside of our grasp. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into these things, but I, I think sometimes a victimization mentality can keep us at arm's length because we find our identity in this victimization status. Like, this is who I am. I, I'm just that person who's been wounded, and I want others to acknowledge and to appreciate and to validate that. And again, my my thought, and I've been, I've been there, guys. I've been in states of self-pity and honestly, like I'm so thankful for my wife. There's been so, much, I can't, so many more times I can't even bear witness to this. She's been like, Brian, you gotta get out of this. You are in a self-pity state. That's why you're in bed three days in a row because like, you, you, you're stuck. You gotta get out of this. And I'm thankful for her to rouse me out of this. And again, she does it always in a tender, gentle, kind way. But I think at the end of the day, we want our pain and our hurt to be validated. We are looking for reasons and solutions as to why we hurt and the pain that has been so ubiquitous throughout our lives. But what I'm suggesting to you, the only true sure way that we will find the depth of healing that we so desperately need is Jesus. mean, honestly, man, I don't know where else we're going to find it to that degree that Jesus offers it. Secondly, thing that we're looking at this morning is the idea of community. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but we need the importance of community. We need to be part of a community. And I think as we find our, our space, our place, our people, you know, who are my people? And the funny thing is about being involved in a church is, that, is I look out and I realize like my people, some of y'all, I don't have anything in common with you at all. And, and I love that. There's something beautiful about that. This, this is different than me choosing my friends that I want to hang out with. I mean, think about it this way. Our world consists, for the most part, this tribalization. Even more so, we have you know atomization, what they describe it, this idea of finding my tribe, I stick with my tribe, I don't have any other thoughts outside of my tribe. It's kind of like an echo chamber is what they describe it. You know, everybody says the same script, and it's about, that's all that's there. What we need more than anything, is community, that's like family. And what that means is that we're going to be around people that act like us, that act nothing like us, think totally different than us, look differently than us. But this is what Jesus says, this is where you're gonna find healing. It's in this community. This is where the church kind of first was birthed in the book of Acts. It describes this community of people that were of all sorts of different races and different countries and different ethnicities, different uh, abilities of speaking and whatnot. And they came together around Jesus. Jesus was, uh, was what united them all. The significance and the importance of being around people that have the single focus of Jesus is going to be part of our greatest healing. Um, I truly believe that one of the things that we're observing, again, we don't even know to what degree social media and, our, and or these smart devices that we have in our hands, to what degree they are, they are impacting us in a negative way. And I would suggest there's all sorts of research and studies that are being put out right now um, and continuing to be put out right now with regard to the long-term effects that things like social media are having upon us. So, for example, this idea that um, turning to social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, that these are various, I would almost even describe it as like a parody of true community. They provide some little hits that cause us to think, oh, man, I'm wanted. But are you really wanted? Or is someone just giving you a like? Are you really, truly wanted, even in the midst of your pain and your brokenness and your ugliness, are you still it? or is there just a parody of that? And what a lot of these guys are describing is that part of the daily rhythm of turning to Facebook and Twitter and some of these other social media sites is it's creating sort of not just information, but formation, shaping you, it's turning you into a certain type of person, and we don't even know the extent of all of this. This is so crazy. The types of studies that are coming out right now, I'll give you an example. Uh, This guy, I can't remember the name of his book, but if you want to come to me afterwards, I'm happy to direct you to who this guy is. He's not a Christian, he's just a researcher, journalist. He describes this idea that Facebook, for example, Facebook is all about your life exists to be put on display for others. Number one, your life exists to be put on display for others. Number two, he describes it this way, that what matters most is if people like or comment on your carefully edited version of yourself. That's what it's training us to think about. I mean, can you imagine sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a friend and you're like, hey, what's the most significant thing about life? The most significant thing about life is the best foot forward that I'm putting up in front of everybody. And if they like me, I'm so happy. If they don't like me, if they ignore me, if they don't comment on myself, I feel invisible. Do you realize how hollowing of your soul that can cause? How much anxiety that can create? He describes it this way, Instagram, for example. What matters most is how you look on the outside, number one. Number two, he describes it this way. What matters most is how good you look on the outside. Number three, what matters most is how good you look on the outside. Number four is what matters most is, how, is, is if others like the version of you that you put on. Again, it's training our souls to become a certain type of person, and ultimately, is shaping us into a community of people, I think, that feel a deeper, more acute sense of loneliness, anxiety, and frustration. It's a parody of true community. Lastly, we need faith, third pillar. Actually, fourth pillar, but you get the idea. Third pillar of what we're looking at here today, faith. I want to, again, just read another little vignette from our scripture account, Book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. Here's what he goes on to say. Someone said to Jesus, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams it, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Verse 20 says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus then said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? And then the father said, from childhood. And has often cast him into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Can you, can you just feel that? This is, a, this is a deeply emotional story. I mean, imagine having a child. That has some sort of ailment or malady. That's that's you don't know how to fix it, but you feel that ache. Your 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 child's pain becomes your pain, and you live your whole life feeling this deep sense of angst. This is the father, but he loves his son, so he brings his son to what he thinks might be his only hope. So he brings him to Jesus. Actually, first of all, he brings him to Jesus' disciples. They can't do anything. They're helpless. So he he ends up bringing him to Jesus, and he has this conversation like, how come uh, your disciples couldn't do anything? Then it goes on to say, I I left that part out, but it's all in the story. And then it goes on to say, Jesus in verse 22, uh, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us in verse 23. Then Jesus said to him, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, Jesus later would go on to say to his disciples, he said, um, look, if you have even faith like the grain of a mustard seed. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with the, uh, the, the analogy that Jesus is making here, a mustard seed is really, really, really small. This is not big faith. This is not like elite, you know, Green Beret-styled Christian faith. This is, this is like weakling by the wayside, just barely holding on. Jesus, please, if there's any possible way, I just, I, help my unbelief. That's that type of faith. In fact, you can even go far to say that if the type of faith that Jesus says can do miracles, big things, is like a mustard seed, then that means the tree, the majority of what we have, what we're comprised of, is actually unbelief. Think about that. What tiny, tiny little piece of my heart that says, Jesus, I want to believe. Jesus says, Cool. That's all I want. It's mustard seed. I'll take it. So some of you might even go on to say, I don't have any faith. I, I, I'm not, I want to have belief. But even that seems opaque or distant or hard or like vaporous. But even there's occasions throughout the New Testament where Jesus actually heals other people based upon the faith of other people operating on their behalf. So areas where you feel like you don't have faith, this is why community is so important. Find people that have faith for you and they'll pray for you. They'll lift you up. They'll come around you. This is why the idea of community is so crucial to the life of constructing or reconstructing our lives well. I want to comment one last thing and then we'll wrap it up with this final thought. There's a guy by the name of Charles E. Moore. He is a Kierkegaard scholar. He actually had written some great stuff about this, and I'll just read this, and then we'll wrap it up. Faith requires a leap. We looked at this several weeks ago that Kierkegaard actually has this idea of leaping to faith, not leaping of faith or leap of faith, but leaping toward faith, leaping to faith. He goes on to describe faith requires a leap. It's not a matter of galvanizing the will to believe something there's no evidence for, but a leap of commitment. The leap is a category of decision. The decision to commit one's being totally to God, whose existence is rationally uncertain, this is why, according to Kierkegaard, to try to prove God's existence by means of purely natural, or neutral, sorry, objective standpoint, is completely backwards. To the contrary, God is known by way of a passionate, undivided commitment, or what he describes as a leap to faith. Faith. Gonna you know, have uh, Nick come on up, and we're gonna wrap it up. And as they're coming up, I want to just finish with some final thoughts. Because at the end of the day, you and I, you and I, in our lives, you can have all the right answers, i.e., wisdom. You can have all the healing, fantastic therapist. You can have a great community, good people around you. But at some point, there needs to be an activation of faith that says, "God." as small as my confidence in you, it is. I need you. There has to be a leap to faith. At some point, that's what it means to be rescued by this God that's eagerly waiting right there. And one last thing is that this is not a God that says, I'm up here, come ascend to me. Please hear what I'm saying. This is a God that says, I know you're down there in the fire, in the pain, in the sorrow, in the confusion, in the chaos. I will descend to you. This is the Jesus story. This is the God that loves you. This is the God that will stop at no lengths. Nothing will ever stand in the way of him getting his love to you. But at some point, there has to be a sense that says, God, I trust you, or at least I want to trust you, and I will step towards you and into your arms and to discover the rescue that you offer. So I'm going to have us all stand. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. We're going to do what we do weekly as we partake the communion, the bread and the cup. This is our weekly reminder that what Christianity is at the very end of the day, it is a coming to the table. You say, I don't feel worthy. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you feel. Respectfully, lovingly, I don't it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Jesus doesn't care what you feel. What matters is the reality of his love that has been put on display. That's the beauty of it. Because how many times do we feel lovable? Not very often. But the message of the gospel is regardless of what you feel, how you feel, he has proven, shown his love to you. So as we lift up our voice, as we sing. If you're here this morning and you have need for anything going on in your life, prayer, we want to be praying for you. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads right now. I'm going to pray, and then we'll lift up our voices. So Jesus, right now, we bring to you everything. Our lives, all of it. Brokenness. Pain, our hardships, our questions, our trauma, all of it. We just said that we need you.